0: This is what I love about AA meetings. I've been to many of them with many of my clients, and I love it because the armor comes off. The truth-telling comes on, and it is so sacred.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. That was the voice of Miss Vanessa Sanford that you heard at the beginning of this episode today. And uh, this episode is one in which I uh, would call it I'm coloring outside the lines. Um, I had been asked or several requests had been put in for me to record an episode uh, with a non-alcoholic, maybe a counselor, somebody outside the program of AA. So that is what we have here today with Miss Vanessa. And uh, if you read any of the AA history uh, and the traditions, uh, you will see that our history is uh, shot full of uh, non-alcoholics that we have leaned on for guidance and counsel and feedback. And that's what I'm doing in this particular case. Uh, just wanted to have somebody in with a little bit of a different perspective. So, um, you know, I have been to counselors Uh, during sobriety. And I will tell you that from my perspective, good counselors are worth their weight in gold. And uh, Vanessa is one of those. She is actually a a fantastic counselor. Um, We're going to talk about several subjects. We'll talk about shame. We're going to address uh, the stigma of mental illness. We're going to talk about the power of resilience. Um, and my favorite part of this whole episode is when we did a breathing and relaxation exercise that she did with me, uh, actually during the podcast. I absolutely loved it. I could have done that for like 60 minutes, but you guys would be bored out of your gourd. Um, nonetheless, I hope you enjoy it. Um, I'm going to have many links that I'm putting in the show notes here. Um, uh, we talk about several subjects. I'm going to give you also a, a link to, Uh, Vanessa's website if you need to get in touch with her. But first things first, before we get into the episode, and this episode is brought to you by Jim and Kimberly. Jim and Kimberly went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab and made a contribution. Jim and Kimberly, thank you so, so much for your generous contribution. This episode is for You. We're going to let everybody else listen in, but this episode is for you. Uh, Now, just a little bit of listener feedback. Uh, Jennifer H. writes in. She said, hey, John. Hi, John, actually, is what she said, but I don't think you'll really care one way or another. Hi, John. My name is Jennifer H., and I live in Northern California. I have been sober for 100 days today. Great, Jennifer. That's absolutely fantastic. I first heard about Silver Speak during your interview on the Bubble Hour. Um, I am married, working, I am a married working mother of three and love to listen to your podcast during the many hours I spend in the car. I am very blessed to have a wonderful home group. But you are truly my, quote, meeting between meetings, unquote. Thank you for all of your work in spreading the message. It has made a tremendous impact on my life and recovery. God bless you, Jennifer H. Thank you so much for writing in. I sure do appreciate it there in Northern California. We're glad to have you listening in. Kim writes in. Kim says, good morning, John exclamation point I am Kim C an alcoholic and addict from Great Falls Virginia and my sobriety date is 11 21 2016 I've been around the rooms since the 80s and starting with alatine I have had long periods of not drinking but not true sobriety until now I discovered sober speak when the radio in my car stopped working. My car has developed some quirky electrical issues; the radio being one of them. I listen to uh, I listen on my commute to and fro work, and I'm getting so much from your meeting between meetings. I always hear things relevant to me and my sobriety, no matter who the speaker is. Your podcast let me be in the quote rooms unquote whenever I find myself. A quick escape from my extended family not in recovery at Christmas, and some headphones gave me a breathe deep, seek peace time. (laughs) Thank you for the time and effort that you put into carrying the message. Gratefully, Kim C. of Great Falls, Virginia. Well, if you're out there in Great Falls, Virginia, and, and you run across Kim C., please give her a great big hug for me. Uh, to all of you writing in, a big old virtual hug for you. Um, and uh, by the way, I would never wish ill will on your electrical work and your car and your radio, but... In this case, I'm actually glad it happened because you found us as soberspeak. Speak. And I'm glad we could provide some needed relief at Christmas uh, from the Not in Recovery family. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. Okay. So this week we published a, uh, let me get to this first. Rebecca commented on Instagram. Uh, Rebecca wrote in and she said, John, just started listening to your podcast, randomly found it, found it on Spotify I'm 88 days sober, working on my first set of steps and go to meetings almost daily. Love the podcast and I am subscribed. You have a new loyal listener, exclamation point, Rebecca. Thanks for listening in. I'm glad you found us randomly on Spotify. Uh, Catherine writes in and she wrote this uh, after seeing uh, or after listening to David G's Steps 1, 2, and 3 episode. It's the episode right before this, episode number 60 or 61. But anyway, David G's Steps 1, 2, and 3 is what it's called. And she said, John. I constantly need the reinforcement of the importance of steps one, two, and three. When life throws me a curveball, I get in touch with my flaws and focus on step three. With the help of AA Tools, podcasts like Sober Speak, and my HP, I am equipped to gain back my sanity. Thank you, John, for all the subjects that you present and discuss. Each one speaks to me in a language that I wouldn't always hear at my home group. Small miracles are revealed in your interviews. And for that, I am truly blessed and greatly appreciative. Here's to another another informative and insightful year ahead in 2019. Thank you so much, Catherine, for writing in those wonderful comments. By the way, I did have somebody else ask me, uh, last week if i would be uh, willing to not only do steps one two and three with david but we would be willing to th- to follow up with uh, four through 12 and we're going to break those up in some form or fashion but uh i've already talked to david about that and we're going to do basically i guess what you would call a, a step study um now uh we posted and when i say we i, I just want to say this uh Um, I put out a shout out, I don't know, uh, four or five weeks ago to anybody who would be willing to help me with some... Uh, uh, social media work because, you know, I have a full-time J-O-B and I love doing this podcast, but I just don't have the time to do everything that I want to do. And Miss Cassandra wrote in, Miss Cassandra is an Al-Anon. She had been listening to Sober Speak. She wrote in and said that she would be willing to in her spare time uh, to help me with some things. And she has gone way, way beyond the call of duty. And most of what you see posted on Instagram now is coming directly from, uh, Cassandra, all the graphics. And, uh, I, I just can't thank her enough. Uh, uh, it has been absolutely fantastic. And if you're not following me on Instagram right now, uh, go to, uh, at sober speak, all one word, but, um, Cassandra had heard me say this in one of the previous episodes, and she posted this question. It says, If you could rent out a billboard and advertise something regarding recovery that you wanted people who were struggling to see, what would it say? And I got three, we got three uh, uh, responses. And uh, um, here it is it says, uh, Katie says, Sobri- Sobriety is like wiping clean a foggy mirror you can see yourself clearly again peace sign and heart i love it katie it is like wiping away a foggy mirror Uh, Liz wrote in and she said, no matter how good or bad you feel, it will not last forever. And that's true. Um, It won't last forever. Uh, And, you know, you have a tendency to think, especially when you're in those bad times, that it is going to last forever. Uh, But very well put, Liz. And Catherine writes in uh, a very short, succinct, and I love this, old ways will not open new doors. All right. So I think that's enough for now. Thank you, Catherine, for writing that in as well. And if you want to contact me directly via email, at least you can uh, reach out to me at feedback at SoberSpeak.com. That comes right to me. You can actually also write to John at SoberSpeak.com. They go right to the same place. Uh, And now we were on to Miss Vanessa Sanford. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, so today we are sitting here with Miss Vanessa Sanford, and I want to say right off the bat, you noticed that I said her last name, Uh, and uh, I don't think I've said the last name of anybody appearing on this podcast in the past, and that is because it's a little bit different today, and what I mean by different is Vanessa is not one of us, so to speak. She is not an alcoholic. Uh, she is a counselor and I'm going to go through real quickly here how I met her. And then I'm going to let her, uh, and we're going to turn it over to her and let her speak about some subjects dear to her heart. Well, I met Vanessa, oh, by the way, go ahead and say hello, Vanessa. Hello. <laughs> I met Vanessa. Um, she was at, uh, the church that I attend here in, uh, Frisco, Texas. And, uh, I work with the uh, the youth a lot um, up at our church, and Vanessa came in to share a—she a, was one of the counselors that came in and shared— uh, one week, about uh, it was a suicide prevention week basically for junior high and high school mm-hmm. students in our community because um, there's been some challenges with that. I mean, not only challenges here, but challenges everywhere. But as she did such a great job of presenting to us, the parents, she was talking to us, the parents, uh, that uh, she just really stood out to me. And I wanted to have her in on the podcast today. So, uh, in fact, uh, Vanessa talked about during that session was something that I still use in my life. This was about the kids, but I was like thinking, oh, this is for adults. I mean, this is great information. Well, one thing that she shared about is she shared about walking through tar- Target and making up stories in her head <laughs> about what other people are thinking or what they may be thinking and about uh, how the, the, how we all have stories that we make up in our head about what other people are thinking or saying. Is that all Right. right? Right, Vanessa? That's right. We right. do. So I wanted to have her in. I've had several requests from uh, other people that I know that are in the program to have in somebody that is not an alcoholic. And, and, is the, and those of you who have been around for a long time within the 12-step community and within Alcoholics Anonymous, you know that our literature is fraught with suggestions and ideas that we do reach out to people that are not in the program and so Vanessa is here today and I'm so glad you're here Miss Vanessa.
0: Thank you. Thank you John.
1: You're welcome. So um, Lizzie, why don't you go ahead and just give like a little bit of a background Mm -hmm. on yourself uh, so folks can know who you are and uh, we'll take it from there.
0: Sure. Um, my name's Vanessa, and I also live in Frisco, Texas, and I am a licensed professional counselor, have a private practice here. Um, but really, what's so important about the, the why I'm here to talk is... Um, I love stories. I believe in them. I believe in the power of resilience. That's one of my favorite words. And ever since I was little, I've been chasing that word. Um, And, you know, a lot of people ask me, why did I get into this field? Well, I I really am a curious person that chases resilience. (laughs) So when I see those experiences, I want to know more. And so I've had lots of um, really neat experiences um, working at Children's Medical Center, um, in the inpatient psych unit, I learned a lot there. um, nothing that my masters program taught me in books it was all experience led i also worked in research at ut southwestern medical school and um hated it um <laughs> 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 i am not one to ju- i got in trouble for calling them subject i mean for not calling them subjects um and they told me i cared too much about the subjects
1: oh the subjects are the people, the that people. you're the people yeah
0: from. and i was like oh i was really interested in their stories um instead of just having them fill out um applications and doing the study. So, um, I just knew it wasn't my fit. Wow. And, um, and then I worked in my internship to earn my license, um, in a bunch of places, Parkland Onco- Oncology, which was beautiful. I got to sit with people getting chemo and just sit with them and hear their stories. Mm-hmm. and It was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had, um, and then I worked at um, Betty Ford Five Star Kids Program, and it's a child, it's a group for um, children of addicts, and so I got to work with kids really trying to um, create some layers of protection so that they don't continue in the cycle of addiction that's been going on in their family. Um, what's that called? Betty Betty for five star, mm -hmm, five star kids. Yeah. Wow. And they had, um, a location in Texas for over 20 years. They just closed their doors and have moved to Minnesota. But, um, one of the best jobs I've ever had. It was amazing.
1: Very interesting.
0: And it was fun. You know, we're talking about addiction, but it was fun. We we made it kid-friendly. Um, and then I worked at the Dallas Children's Advocacy Center, um, where we specialized in children that were abused and um, in all the aspects, in court, in um, working with their families, working with their own healing. Um, and it was an amazing, hard, dramatic um love field job that I just will never forget. Wow. Um, And I was um, part of this really cool alliance. It's still going on. It's called, it's a really long name, but it's the Texas Alliance for Drug Endangered Children. I was a part of that. We traveled all over the state to educate professionals on understanding the impact of addiction on children. So, um, I have done lots of fun things. I still have lots of fun things to do, but that's some background for me. And there's another piece that I,
1: I've heard you, you talk about before. I believe that you're getting, and this is kind of... Kind of near and dear to my heart. In other words, if you look behind you in our room. Yes, here, I know what
0: you're talking about. <laughs> I have
1: uh, yoga mats and uh, yes. all kinds of <laughs> yoga stuff over there, blocks, et cetera, straps. Uh, my understanding is that you're getting a, like a yoga certification. Is that I right? I am. What is that called? I
0: am. It's called Psychotherapeutic Yoga um, Instructor. Really? It's so exciting. Um, I love yoga. And actually, when I was working at the Advocacy Center, um, I received a free month pass to yoga. And I don't know if you um, have tried different kinds of yoga, but it was a free month pass to Bikram yoga.
1: Right. The hot yoga.
0: Oh, yeah. 105 degrees, 90 minutes. (laughs) That was my first class. And I loved it. I stunk and it was like so much sweat (laughs) releasing from me, but it was the most cathartic experience I've ever had. So I loved it. And that was in 2005. And I was just hooked um, since. And um, have really found that there's um, such power in movement and in our body instead of just in our mouths and talking. And I um, was so interested in finding um, a training that can offer that. So I'm still learning. I've still got a lot to um, earn to finish. But um, so far, it has been um, a lo- so much experience.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. A lady who I love in our group, her name's Kate. Uh, She is a uh, hot yoga teacher. (laughs) Uh, I think it's one of like uh, sunstone yoga or Mm -hmm. something like that. And she Mm -hmm. really enjoys it. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that makes sense. So, okay, let's... um, I guess shift gears here a little bit as you know when we've talked about uh, prior to this you know the 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 majority of the people who are listening to this are going to be Alcoholics Anonymous or 12 Step members and so my my interest in having you in here is to talk about uh, I guess your counseling experience if you will and how that relates to alcoholism addiction what you see in your practice, we can kind of take it, I guess, subject by subject. I know that one of the things that you are passionate about Mm -hmm. and very learned on uh, is the subject of shame. Mm -hmm. So why don't you kind of explain what you see, first of all, define shame, what it is, what it isn't, Mm -hmm. and then talk about um, uh, how you see it relating to Alcoholics Anonymous, how you see it relating to addiction. Yeah.
0: Yeah easy question, John. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I did um, back in 2013 is I got certified in Brene Brown's work. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, John, with her, but um, I she is um, a force and she has done so much research on shame and shame resilience. So the, the things I'm going to talk about is from her and her um, research and my time training with her and her group. Um and so what I've learned from her about shame, it's human emotion. Everybody experiences it. Um, so, And she'll say the only ones that don't experience shame are the ones that um, – are maybe psychopaths and have no ability to care for others. Um, so if you have um, if you have hurt feelings, if you feel um, some level of struggle or worthiness, um, then you you probably have experienced shame. Um, and what she talks about, and this is something near and dear to me, is um, because it's a human emotion, it's so uncomfortable to feel. And what she says is shame is a full contact emotion. So you viscerally feel it. Um, It can knock you down. And what the definition that she describes is, it is a place where you feel um, unworthy, unloved, not good enough. Um, And I think that's a human thing. I think we all have moments of that. Um, And why shame is such an important topic in relation to addiction, what she teaches is that shame is... Um, highly correlated with addiction, with suicide, with aggression, with violence, with self-harm, with eating disorders, with depression, with anxiety. I mean, it is. it can really get corrosive in our lives if we don't understand why we have shame and why it's taking over our lives. Um, And why that's so important is if shame is leading our lives, we are desperately trying to find places to numb and hide from it.
1: Okay. So give me an example of shame mm-hmm. leading my life. Mm-hmm. What would that look like?
0: Um, so for a moment of feeling um, rejected, um, just think of a moment. For, and one of the things she'll talk about is this. For women, one of the biggest shame triggers is our bodies. Um, feeling like the only worthiness and value we can offer is what we look like. Um, and that can be such a shame trigger if our bodies aren't like what they, they're supposed to look like on magazines.
1: And for guys, I would mm-hmm. imagine it would be something like what kind of providers we may be.
0: Well, she says the biggest shame trigger for men is um, perceptions of weakness. Um, which can definitely tap into what you're saying of not being a provider. Um, but yeah, um, it it can really to appear weak as a man is a, is a spiral of shame for sure. Um, and both of those play out all the time, um, in movies, in, um, all these stories that we listen to and that are advertised. So it's in our consciousness and our culture all the time. It's hard to unwrap ourselves from it. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so you have you you said shame you know
1: and we're, how it plays out in our lives mm-hmm. uh, uh, talk a little bit about I guess what what shame I, I think shame can get a f- confused with other emotions sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- w- talk to me a little bit about that
0: yeah there's um there's three emotions that usually get um confused with. And the, the main one is guilt. A lot of people say they feel shame when, when really what they're describing is guilt. And the reason why it's important to um, untangle these emotions, um, it's not a linguistics issue. Um, guilt is actually a healthy feeling. If I feel guilty about a behavior that I chose to do, I'm more motivated to change the behavior. But if I feel shame for who I am, it's hard for me to change who I am. Uh-huh. And so if I feel guilt, it's positive because I'm more willing to do something about it. But if I feel shame, what's the, the most common response that I've learned is we go and hide. We go and avoid. Um, we, it's too big to change.
1: Can you give me an example of what that looks like in mm-hmm. real life, uh, shame and mm-hmm. guilt, so people can kind of wrap their brain around that a little more?
0: Yeah, if I'm not feeling good enough, um, if I'm feeling unworthy, if I'm feeling unloved, Um, and then somebody says, you're so pretty, or you are such a good person. I don't believe them. I think they're lying. I think that they're just trying to be nice, or I think they're being deceitful, or I just think they're making things up, because I don't feel like I deserve that. Um, And when I mess up, when I screw up, my self-talk is, I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid um, I can't believe somebody would love me and then I'm more willing to make choices that align with that view of myself okay so that's shame right that's shame
1: okay so and where so in uh, I may be getting ahead of you yeah, here but yeah. where does that come from why why do we I mean and I don't know if you know the answer yeah. to this but you know where does that come
0: from and then how do we get past that if you will I think you know what I've learned I don't have an answer for everybody but kind of my theory is we We come wired. Um, We can live in a household full of love um, or full of trauma and our wiring can get triggered, um, by shame or by self-worth. It just, you know, we can have siblings and we can have the same parent parents, same household, same environment. And one of us may become an addict and one of us may not, um, we're, we come wired. And so, um, it depends on our self-talk. It depends on how we are talked to as children, um, and how, um, we're role modeled, how to struggle and how to, get back up. I think a lot of us are just told to be quiet, um, and get over it and figure it out. Um, and I don't know what that means. I need details and I need steps. Um, and when I'm told to go to my room, um, or I'm a big problem, then I may believe that, that I'm a big problem and I'll look for ways to align with that. I'm a big problem and that's shame. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. So that's what shame looked like. And, and you were talking about shame and mm-hmm. kind of giving an example of that. What would be more like guilt? Because guilt is more of an appropriate mm-hmm. kind of emotion. Am I right? Yes. Okay. I mean,
0: that's our hope. And, and when I work with families, when I work with kids and teenagers, my hope is that if they have shame talk, that we will progress to guilt talk. Um, meaning if, I, if, they're, if they did something, instead of saying I'm so stupid, they can say I made a stupid choice. Because gotcha. my, my worthiness should not be shifted based on my choices. It should just be, I'm worthy as is. I don't have any prerequisites. I'm just enough. And I may make dumb choices, but I'm going to work to make better choices. But I don't have to be anybody. Um, I don't have to lessen my value of myself because of choices I've made. That's my hope. Right. Um, but with guilt, that's that's the hope is the self-talk is, I made a dumb choice, but I'm still enough. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I, you know, came from a, uh, and I don't want to make this all my story here, but I, I came from a background that had uh, with a, uh, I was an only child, uh, had a, uh, um, a a mother who was uh, mentally uh, ill. She had. Several things going on. She had anorexia. She had bulimia. She had uh, uh, OCD. I mean, true OCD. um, uh, There was all kinds of things going on. And the only reason I'm saying that is because when I was a kid, no one ever talked about any of this kind of stuff. Uh, There was there was stigma around it. All I knew is it was weird, if you will. So. I would imagine part of dealing with some of these issues for you in your work, either with alcoholics or non-alcoholics, is kind of getting past the, the, the stigma. And so how, how do you get people past that?
0: You know, I, um, I always have parents so eager for their children to get better. Um, And I remind them that paying me and driving and having their child in a session for an hour once a week is not enough um, because I will never be as much of an impact as the parents. And so I explain that this isn't the medical model. In a medical model, you bring your insurance card, you set up an appointment, you pay, and the doctor does what they do quickly. They assess the symptoms and then they move on. In therapy, it is a family approach. Um, And what happens is the work in the session is not as important as the work that gets led into the home and integrated. We cannot be more resilient than our children. If we want our children to become resilient, we have to get into these hard conversations. We have to get into not just paying somebody to have the conversations, but to doing them at home home and practicing role modeling. Um, You know, and so if I want my kids to um, be shame resilient, to be brave, to have hard conversations. Um, I can't expect them to do that in their room on their own right. um, or with a professional. I've got to do that myself. Yeah. And um the things I talk about in here, they're not just things that I'm a professional helping other families. I have to do this too. Um, I screw it up all the time. I have shame. All the time that I have to check and transition it to guilt talk, and there's a lot of work that I do every day. Um, and just because I'm a professional does not mean I do not struggle. So whatever stigma around that, we got to let go of real quick. Um, and there's a lot of it, especially around helping professionals. So as far as the stigma goes, um, I want to say two things really quick just about the the, the words that get um, tangled with shame and and then play into the stigma. So guilt is one that gets tangled up, and then humiliation is another one. And the difference between shame and humi- humiliation is one thing. When we, we feel humiliated, we don't believe we deserved it. And that's so huge because um, there's a story that I learned when I was learning all of this stuff about a kid in school, and they had um, forgotten to put their name on a paper, And the teacher was passing out um, all the graded papers. And she said, who didn't put their name on the paper? And this student um, did not want to raise their hand and say they didn't put their name on the paper. And the teacher said, well, I know who it is. Let me put your name on the paper for you. And she spelled out stupid and put that as the kid's name.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: And so here's the thing about humiliation. If this student felt humiliated then she would have thought, I didn't deserve this. I'm going to go tell my parents. There's going to be emails. There's going to be meetings. There will be discussions. They would feel upset about what happened because they didn't fully believe they deserved it. And what's so important about humiliation is you are worthy and you know that that treatment is wrong. And so you're going to speak up about it. When you feel shame and that's your leading emotion what that? What would have happened in that class? There's no news to tell. It's just confirmation that that's true. Yep, I am stupid. She called me stupid. There's no news. And so when parents say, why didn't you say anything, right? If they're already feeling shame and something happens that they feel more shame in, what's there to say? Right. And so humiliation is important because we want people, when they mistreat us, we want to understand it's not okay. And not just, it's not okay, but we need to speak up about it. Mm-hmm. And, and shame will stop that from happening. We will just say, it's another story to confirm we're not enough, um, which is why shame can be really corrosive in our lives. Right. And then we want to find hiding places like addiction to numb. Um, and then the last one um, that we get tangled up is embarrassment. And, and embarrassment is the lighter of all of these emotions. It's fleeting. It's like a, bo- a booger, or you got toilet paper hanging off your shoe, or you <laughs> forget to zip your pants up, or you got things in your food in your teeth. And what's interesting about embarrassment is after a while, it's funny. And the other part about embarrassment is you know other people have experienced it, so you know you're not alone. So it's like, man, remember when I had that booger? It was so embarrassing, but now it's funny. (laughs) Um, But shame will never be funny, right? right? right. And so um, this is why it's so important to separate these. Um, And what's interesting, John, is you and I may have the same experience, and you may walk away feeling embarrassed, and I may walk away feeling shame depending on our wiring, our belief systems, our experiences before that specific one will will kind of conform us in how we take that story.
1: So tell me about the psyche. Okay, Well, first of all, let me do a little uh, yeah. m- metro announcement sure. here, then we'll continue on. Okay. So we'll be continuing our conversation with Vanessa Sanford in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at... So, soberspeak all one word, com. There you will find uh, all of our back episodes at this point. There is over 50, somewhere between 50 and 60. You can also find the donate button on our website. Uh, only if the Spirit moves you to do such, you can use it. Please keep in mind this podcast is funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect denomination politics organization or institution we do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse nor oppose any causes okay now back to miss vanessa so okay so what i'm what i'm what i'm thinking about it is when when, when you're talking is I'm, I'm i'm looking at and thinking about some somebody who was in their youth who went through some sort of abusive sort of situation and it's happening more and more as you know now or you know there's there's just a large segment of the population that that has occurred to and then they get to be an adult and something happens and, and i can't quite put words to this i'm hoping you can help me out but they For what they went through somehow, and it doesn't make sense logically, but it makes sense emotionally and spiritually, I guess, they start to develop shame over that incident that took place with them when they were a kid. So can you take me through that process and why people experience that?
0: Well, you know... I don't know for everybody, but kind of what my experience has been just in my own life and then even with you know the people that I serve, um, what I learn is shame is um, part of the language at home. It's not spoken, it's silent. And here's what shame needs to thrive. It needs silence, it needs secrets, and it needs judgment. So I'll say that again. What shame needs to thrive is silence, secrets, and judgment. And if those are part of your family language, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be strong. It's going to be powerful. Um, and whether we're kids, whether we're adults, um, shame is very effective.
1: And you just struck a chord with me because when I was a kid, I never talked about what was going on. Of with course my not. Mom. Yeah, you know, yeah. never. Right. Uh, now, it, and it came out sideways mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I went into my you know late teens mm-hmm. and twenties, especially. Yeah. Uh, and and I could tell you that we try with our kids. I'm sure we're not perfect, right? We're not perfect parents. We don't have perfect kids, but we we try to instill in them that we're not keeping the secret, right? Let's talk about, I mean, th- there's appropriate people to talk to it about, you know, you don't want to, uh, you know, people know about fist steps in the program. I don't, I don't go to a meeting and do a fist step at every meeting, you know, uh, but I can tell you for sure, that uh, if I were to if God were to punch my clock tomorrow, I don't have any secrets, and uh, you know I've gotten it out there in some form or fashion. But anyway, silence and secrets and judgment. So what are the what what do those look like to you? The silence secrets and judgment?
0: Well, I mean secrets make us sick for sure. and that's one of the um, rules in addiction is keeping things a secret. Um, and think about it, right? I, I, just for in our culture. When um, somebody's in pain, we all suck at handling other people's pain right. we say really silly things to them that mean nothing to them but we think they're helpful things like it'll get better or it's gonna be okay or um, you know God has a plan for everything or at least they're not suffering anymore or um, but you were a kid and now you're an adult so you should be over it by now or I know they died last year but you know it's been a year so can you wrap that this up <laughs> or you're still bothered by that or oh you're bothered by that well you should hear my story that's more painful than your story. I mean, we just, we as adults really need more social skills in how to handle pain. And so when, when we think about that, that's judgment, right? That silences the other person and that makes people be secret keeping. Um, why would I share something with somebody that's vulnerable and painful if I'm told it's not um, a good enough story to validate um, somebody's empathy, somebody's care, somebody's time? That's what we're taught all the time. Oh, get over it. Um, yeah, deal with it. Suck it up.
1: That's right. Yeah, pull yourself up by your mm-hmm. own bootstraps. That's so. right.
0: And so this is, this is what makes shame so um, powerful. And I, I think about Gregory Boyle. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but he is a priest out in L.A., And he's well known for his service with the LA gangs. He helps them transition out of gangs into jobs and education. And um, he's a remarkable man. Um, And what he talks about is, you know, people don't join gangs because they're full of hope. Um, and I think about that with addiction. People don't join um, this club of addiction because they're full of hope. I think, and I may be speaking too generally, but I think a lot of people join addiction um, slowly, obviously, um, because they're full of pain mm-hmm. and it's a hiding place. Mm-hmm. And for, for you know, a little bit of time, they don't have to feel um, the things that hurt them. And it actually works. It's very effective. Right? In the Absolutely. beginning, it, it yeah. works
1: even better. Uh, Absolutely. And then eventually the solution doesn't work anymore, right. and then you're stuck because right. you're addicted. And, yes. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, one of the things Brene talks about is um, we are the most in debt, overweight, medicated, addicted U.S. adult co- cohort in history. We numb All of us numb. Not all of us are addicts, but every human numbs. Um, And so I I never want to just think of this as siloed or fragmented for addicts. We all numb. We all don't like feeling pain, and we all try to find hiding places from it. Um, With food, with sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with social media, with gossip, with constant change. I mean, whatever we do, we can find a way to um, chronically use it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so
1: I want to kind of shift gears here a little bit. We, as we were coming into the uh, uh, mm-hmm. into the room here, and we were having mm-hmm. our talk. You were mentioning that you had listened to Megan, yes. uh on the
0: yes.
1: on the previous episode. Yes, uh, and just in case you're wondering, oh, that's uh, Megan P, and I think it's called. Oh, I'm not looking at it. Uh, Uh, recovery promise, excuse me, uh, recovery promises what alcohol gives. No, that's not it at all. I'm completely (laughs) butchering that, but I'm very close. I think it's all the words. They're just (laughs) jumbled. So anyway, uh, Megan P did a, we, we had a great time with her. And when she came in here last time to do a recording, Uh, She did a Reiki session, a Reiki, I think is how you pronounce it, Mm -hmm. with me and my wife. Mm -hmm. And so you had mentioned that you have a... Uh, like a breathing technique that you think are you learning this through your yoga
0: practitioner? I actually learned it from somebody else certified in this um, work from Brene Brown Um, but I've been using it as a student um, getting certified we I have led a six week yoga class already Um, and so I um, got to make it all up it was really fun Um, and so it was part yoga part um, Brene Brown work and um, at the end of every class we would close with This breathing practice. Okay. Um, And so I'd love to share. Yeah. So I don't
1: know exactly how this is going to play out. Uh, We're doing this on the fly (laughs) here. And uh, I think you were going to use me as a Mm -hmm. subject on this. Is that correct? All right. Yes.
0: And you will be the subject, and whoever else um, listening would like to join in.
1: Yeah. Now, if you're driving, please (laughs) pull your car over.
0: (laughs) Well, and I'll say this before I start, um, one of the things that led me to this is um, there's a woman named Roshi Joan Halifax, and she's a Buddhist monk. And she talks about how important it is for us to inhale for ourselves because we exhale for others all the time. And so thinking about a lot of us, especially helpers, me included, and probably many listening, when we are servants of others all the time. And so we're exhaling all the time, doing for others. And the inhale is for our own breath, our own needs, our own self-love. And so being able to practice both for ourselves can really balance us
1: do you have a by any chance a a link that you could provide me to her her like a website or her Mm -hmm. work or some of this and that way i can put it in the show notes absolutely and if anybody wants to pause their device uh, go down the show notes they'll be able to to click on that i'm also just so you all know out there i'm going to put a uh a link to uh vanessa and 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 her work and if you want to reach out to her and you know and i've said this before on the show but just so you know i don't particularly uh endorse anything but i you know but i want to put the knowledge out there uh, and if you all want to contact vanessa you're more than welcome to do that so all right so what am i going to do here Ms. vanessa all right
0: john so make sure both feet are on the floor okay Okay. Fill your back in your chair. Yep. Unfortunately,
1: I got a straight back chair here. (laughs)
0: Um, You can place your hands on your lap or wherever you feel comfortable. You can close your eyes or if that's not comfortable for you, you can just lower them to a soft gaze. And I just want you to notice your body. I want you to notice the tension in your neck and shoulders and just lower that. I want you to lower the roof, um, the tongue from the roof of the mouth. Unt- untighten your, t- your um, eyebrows, unlock your jaw, and just notice your body in the chair. And as you inhale and exhale in your own time, try to inhale and exhale in the same amount. And I'm just going to guide you with this breathing practice. It's called self-care breathing practice. And as you inhale, you can follow along. And as you exhale, there's some direction. So breathe in connected, breathe out divided, breathe in clear, breathe out distorted, breathe in focused, breathe out scattered, breathe in wise, breathe out not knowing. Breathe in relaxed. Breathe out stressed. Breathe in gratitude. Breathe out scarcity. Breathe in calm. Breathe out fear. Breathe in loving. Breathe out hatred. Breathe in peaceful. Breathe out worry. Breathe in permission. Breathe out doubt. Just for now, breathe. Take another breath in and out. Inhaling what you'd like to hold on to and exhaling what you'd like to let go of. Wiggle your toes and fingers and come back into the room.
1: Okay, I can't go down and take a nap, right? Because I'm actually in the middle of this podcast. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. All right. So
1: I'm going to have to kind of come back here more quickly than I would like. Uh, and uh, I still have my eyes closed because I'm trying to hold on to every ounce of this that I can. So your voice and the words together combined and the tone of your voice uh, is a very good combination for this kind of work. Um, and you know, as you were going through all those breathe in and breathe out, the the various uh, adjectives, and uh, I, I was thinking about do we have something in our literature called the um, uh, the St. Francis prayer. It's yeah. not. It's not. It was created by Saint Francis, right. but it's in our the eleventh step and the twelve and twelve and uh, and uh, and it, it always it has you know like the the opposites mm-hmm. the just like you did and I was thinking that somebody could take that same prayer excuse me or same meditation but it is like a prayer to uh-huh. me it's yeah. a you know it's like both uh, they could take those words and transpose them and put them into that. Uh, uh, reading and, uh, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I'm, and I'm guessing maybe if you're in an actual yoga class, uh, you, you probably extend that out a little bit further, mm-hmm. but, you know, mm-hmm. with me and you here being in the middle of this, I mean, but th- this is, that was, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. I love it.
1: All right. So, what have we not covered that you want to make sure that we cover before we wrap up here? What what subjects are are you know top of mind for you? What do you think that the listeners could benefit from hearing here that maybe we haven't covered yet?
0: Uh, just a couple of things. I, I wanted to circle back about stigma um, because one of the things that it, it's just a soapbox that I'll probably be on for a long time as an advocate for mental health and shame resilience is when we have an injury from our neck down, when we have cancer or a broken bone or a spleen issue, um, man, we get casseroles and prayer chains and um, visits and flowers. (laughs) We get lots of support. And there is zero shame um, in the support, it feels like. And that's probably judgmental to say it in zero shame, but less shame. But when we have an illness, or, um, some medical issue from our neck up in our brain, whether it's a mental illness or an addiction, man, it's silence. We don't get flowers or casseroles or cards or prayer chains. We get silence and we get told really, unfortunately, more shaming things like uh, it's all in your head or get over it, or you should be stronger or you're not praying hard enough, or you're not a big believer. Um, and Ooh, those oof, are tough ones. You're not praying are, hard enough. Oof, and you're not ouch, a big
1: believer. I ouch. mean, they're
0: all bad. But, they're all uh, bad, but to to braid in your spirituality, right? It's like taking a medical issue, right? 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 Ouch. You would like, never say that to if somebody with cancer.
1: It's like yeah, taking a, uh, uh, whatever, whether you, you worship the the, the Quran or, right. or the Bible or, you know, wh- whatever you worship, uh, it's like weaponizing yes. that literature against you.
0: That's right. And the more we understand about stigma, and the more we understand that when we speak with with stigma, instead of speaking with love, we are silencing people that are in pain. And, um, addiction is really comforting and saying, Hey, come over here. I'll be with you. Um, I'm predictable, you know what to expect from me. Um, and we're unpredictable as humans cause we are not great in tolerating pain in ourselves and in others. So stigma is a big one that I try to explain, um, because it can really create barriers to healing and resilience and we all need it. Um, and the other thing that I was just going to say, um, just not even about stigma, but, um, just understanding that, um, because I'm a counselor, I want, I want to just say that I don't think therapy is always, um, the option, um, I think sometimes in the medical field, in the mental health field, um, there's too much pathology. Um, and I'm not a fan of speaking about people that I work with. So
1: what do you mean by that? Too
0: much pathology? Too much pathology. Meaning um, if you've ever walked into a doctor's office or a therapist's office, or you have heard somebody on TV say, I'm working with, um, I've got a bipolar client, or I've got an addict next, or um, you're labeled by your struggle. Ouch, no, thanks. I'm not interested in that. I I try to look at people's whole people. Um, And it's part of our story, but it's not our whole story. And so um, I am not a fan to label someone as um, their diagnosis, but to so I will say I'm working with somebody who struggles with XYZ, instead of I'm working with depression. Right, um, and that is that's part of the stigma too, is all the pathology. or even when I work with parents sometimes or or clients, sometimes they want to just focus on the wrong, that we need to spend lots of time on the wrong, um, which you know, in our brain, we're real clear on finding what's wrong um, because it's a survival mechanism. Um, but to create pathways for health, we have to practice looking for what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big practice in our brain to create pathways to find, And expand our views so that we're not just honed in on the wrong. Um, And our family members not looking at us that way or or our community looking at us that way. Um, So I think about, um, you know, gratitude. And I think about joy. And I think about ways to look at a moment um, and not just in the pain, but also notice the connection and the the sharing, even if it's painful. This is what I love about AA meetings. I've been to many of them with many of my clients, and I love it because the armor comes off, mm. the truth-telling comes on, and it is so sacred.
1: Yeah, a friend of mine, actually his name is Eric, uh, he's been on the uh, podcast before, he, he refers to AA as the opposite of Facebook. <laughs> It's so true. That's hilarious. uh, You don't see people uh, posting their pictures of uh, when they drove the uh, car through the kitchen online, you know? Right. (laughs) This is the day I ruined Christmas, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's all the.
0: (laughs) It's wonderful. AA meetings are wonderful. I'm a big fan of therapy, obviously, not just um, as a servant, but also doing my own work. But I just love the idea of it's a place, it's a safe place to tell the truth Mm -hmm. instead of an unsafe place to lie and yeah. pretend and fake and, um, and hide. Right.
1: Yeah. The other, the other thing that I actually wanted to cover with you before you got out of here was, uh, uh the subject of trust. And, mm-hmm. and when I say trust, uh, you know, I think about, I think about myself coming into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, this is not a story that's just unique to me. I, I mean, still even today, you know, I, because of, I mean, i would be naive to think that uh, my past did not affect me, you know, and you get, you get kind of jaded. You don't know who to trust. You don't know how to trust. There's a saying that, uh, in God, we trust, but all of us pay cash. Uh, so, so when you work with clients and they, I mean, even coming into you, I'm sure they have a hard time trusting yeah. you. Like, what is this lady going to do with this information? Uh, um, talk to me a little bit about trust.
0: Ooh, it's sacred. Um, I think that there's two relationships with trust. Um, your trust in yourself and your trust in others. Um, and I think the biggest casualty when we struggle is our own loss of self- trust. Um, when we're in pain, when we're in conflict, when we're in shame, when we do something that doesn't work out in the story that we had hoped, we have movies in our heads about how things will go. Um, our, our biggest casualties is our own loss of self-trust. I'm not enough. I'm stupid. I shouldn't have done it. All the shoulds mm-hmm. um, and coulds and woulds. Um, and, you know, I always tell people not to shit on themselves. Um, but... <laughs> (laughs) But, you know, trust is sacred. And what I've learned through Brene and John Gottman and a bunch of other leaders that I study is it's. Um, Trust is built in small moments. It's not this grandiose, I'm coming in, saving you from a burning house, although that's very trustworthy in itself. Um, It's ordinary and small. And it's a moment that um, when I see somebody struggling, whether it's a family member or, um, or somebody I work with, if I see it and I walk past it and don't acknowledge it, that's a moment where I've created distrust because they have not been seen and I, and I saw it and I ignored it. Um, and, and think about when, um, somebody, you know, is going through a hard time and they're calling you and you go, Oh, I just don't want to talk to them right now. That's a moment right? Instead of just going, they need me, I need to pick it up and deal with this. This is hard, but I've got to be here and show up. Right. So it's just understanding how um, malleable it is. And it's, it's such a big concept. And Brene even brings up, um, there's an anatomy of trust. It's little um, things to learn about trust, because it's such a huge concept. Um, And just a few of them would be boundaries, Um, to know what's okay and not okay. And if you don't know, ask that's, that's trust building or trust um, breaking. Um, Another one would be accountability, um, which is a big one in recovery is I've got to own my mistakes and not blame or say, Hey, I'm sorry, but you started it. And I'm only sorry for 10%, but you did 90%. Um, That's not That's not the accountability, that's trust building. Um, So just thinking about things like that. But um, yeah, trust is big and um, I've got to earn it with everybody that I work with. I don't ever expect it. Um, And I'm not here as a, I know what to do, follow my lead. I'm just here holding space. A lot of times if I just get out of their way and I just listen with love, People start to remember their worthiness in a room that's safe and full of, um, trust and no armor needed. Um, and then they can hear themselves and build their worth back up and walk away feeling like, oh yeah, I am okay. I am going to be resilient. I am going to choose a life that is more full of love and trust. Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: I love it. I love it. So, um, Vanessa has been very cooperative through this uh, recording because what you don't know going on all around is Vanessa came over and then our guy who gets squirrels out of the attic came over at the same time and he's been making, you can't hear it, I don't think you could hear it on the podcast, but he's been crawling up in our attic and uh, uh, Vanessa has stayed very focused and uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, I started, you know what I started to say, which is very interesting. And I kind of caught myself, I started to say, well, you know, when that truck of his pulls up outside, and it says something like, you know, dead animal remover or something like that. I'm always thinking, what are the neighbors going to think, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, that is Mm -hmm. uh, some sort of form of shame that I should not have, you know, it's, it's, it's not about me, right? It's just one of these things that has to happen. So, I really have appreciated your time here today, Miss Vanessa. This has been absolutely fantastic. I'm going to have Vanessa provide to me any links that she wants to provide me. And once again, I will put them in the show notes here for this particular episode. Uh, you know, some of them will be how to contact her, some of them will be the, some of these other people that she mentioned actually during the recording of this. But I'm going to go ahead and close it out as I always do with page 164 of the big book. Uh, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows, which is interesting. That's what we were just Uh talking about here today. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Which is interesting. That's exactly what we were talking (laughs) about here today. Uh, Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, thank you, Miss Vanessa, for being here. Bye-bye.